Happy New Year. Scripture passage today comes from John chapter 15. Read verses 1 through 11 and then 16 and 17. And that is on page 901 in the Blue Bible, if that's what you're using. Stand for the reading of God's Word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And then down to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You may be seated. It is my great pleasure to introduce Mark the Cosmaker to you this morning. He needs no introduction in some ways because he's uh, the executive pastor here and been an elder here and been around for quite some time. Uh, but this is his first sermon, and as you can imagine, that can make a person nervous. <laughs> and uh, so I just wanted to say to you how much uh, I hope you'll pay attention. Uh, Mark is a real person. Uh, he's meant a lot to me personally. He's meant a lot to this church. And he's the kind of person that does a lot of things that you don't see. But if he wasn't here, you would notice a lot of wheels rolling off. Uh, and so he spent the last four and a half years 
finishing a, a degree from Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. So very faithfully moving his way through uh, a degree program. So he got a master's in religion there. Um, but more importantly, he knows Jesus. He loves Jesus. He loves God's word. And we're really fortunate to have him on our team and blessed to hear from him today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for using uh, vessels like Mark and myself and others to proclaim an eternal truth, an eternal glory. Would you help us to have ears to hear your words through Mark today? I pray for your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and once again, Happy New Year. I don't know how many of you uh, chose to make New Year's resolutions. Uh, I know some people don't because they break them so often. But I think a New Year's resolution is a really interesting thing because what it tells us about a person. Because typically, when a person makes a New Year's resolution, they're picking out the one thing in their life that they say, if I could change this one thing, it would make my life better. If I could change this one thing, it would make the lives of the people around me better. And yet, statistically, we're told that 91% of all New Year's resolutions get broken. And that actually about 50% get broken in the first four months. So it's one thing to make the resolution, it's another thing to walk the path. Well, last week, Pastor Paul uh, preached from Luke 2. And we looked at Simeon and a life lived faithfully. A life lived abiding in the promises of God. He talked to us about an examined life. And as he ended his sermon, he called us to examine our lives, much as you would if you were going to make a resolution. And then he asked that simple question, which is a hard question. It's that if today was your last day, would you be ready like Simeon? Would you be prepared to meet Christ knowing that you had lived a faithful life? Or would there be some things that you might want to change? As I thought about that, I came across the resolutions of a young Christian man, which he wrote after he thought about that same question. He said, what things could I do? What things could I change in my life? What type of habits should I have as a disciple of Christ? And as a result of that self-examination, he created 21 resolutions. Now, that young man was 17 or 18 years old when he wrote those resolutions. And the reason he did was he looked around the world and he said, this is not the world of my grandfather. This is not the world of my father. I'm growing up in a world where the cultural elites no longer believe that God and my faith should be the basis of my opinions. That they should be the basis on which I lead my life. He's saying, they're saying that God should be in a box and science should be over here, and we shouldn't intermingle the two. And he was alarmed by the fact that society 
seemed to be infected by these ideas. He looked at the church and he said he felt like that there was no longer an appetite for traditional religion, that faith was growing stale. That was America in 1722. And that young man was Jonathan Edwards. The 21 resolutions he wrote were to put him on a path to guide him in his life because he realized that for a disciple of Christ, intentionality is important. And so what I'd like to do is read you the preamble and the first of the 21 resolutions he wrote as a young man. He said, aware that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do pray that by his grace, he will enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are in line with his will and that they will honor Christ. Resolved. I will do whatever I think will be most to God's glory and my own good profit and pleasure for as long as I live. I will do all these things without any consideration of the time that they take to do whatever I understand to be my duty and will provide the most good and benefit to mankind in general. To do this, whatever difficulties I encounter, no matter how many I experience or how severe they are. You see, Jonathan Edwards chose to live an examined life, not as a mental exercise, but because he realized that as a disciple of Christ, that's what he was called to. He, like Simeon, chose to abide in the promises of God. He chose to abide in Christ for the glory of God. A little over a decade later, Jonathan Edwards was going to be the, one of the key figures in the Great Awakening. A revival of faith that would spread across what we would think of as America. And in and of itself, that would be a great thing. But if we think about America in 1734, the people in the minds that he were shaping were the very people we would call the forefathers of American democracy. When we align our lives in obedience to the commands of Christ, when we abide in Christ, we become a powerful light in a dark world. So as we begin the new year, I was hoping that we could consider what an examination of our life might look like and how, I, how we might be resolved to abide in Christ so that we will live lives that bear much fruit for the glory of God. Now, today's sermon is going to be broken down into three parts. It's going to be the vine, the branch, and the fruit. So like all good sermons, three parts. <laughs> now, the true vine is, of course, Christ. And the vine defines the identity and purpose of the branch. What is our identity? 
We are chosen. We are the children of God, and we are disciples of Christ. That's not who we hope to be. That's not who we aspire to be. That is, in fact, who we actually are. And we're not that because we chose God, but we're that because God chose us from before he set the foundations of the earth. We're disciples of Christ because he took on human flesh and walked in obedience for a lifetime because he suffered humiliation, even death on a cross, so that we could be reconciled with God. And because he has called us to himself, we abide in Christ, not because of our works, but because of God's eternal, immeasurable love and God's unmerited grace to us sinners. This is particularly important in this context because being resolved to, be, to conform your life into the image of Christ so that you can bear much fruit for God's glory, it's not easy. But the power to transform our lives, the power to walk faithfully, is not dependent on our strength or our skills or our determination, but on God's eternal measurable love on God's unmerited grace to us. And it rests in his promise to complete the work that he has begun in us. Christ tells us that as his disciples, we are both chosen and appointed to glorify God by bearing much fruit. That's our purpose. In the Westminster Confessions of Faith, it says that is our chief purpose. That is the chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Christ is calling us to bear fruit, to be like a tree planted by a stream, bearing fruit in season. In this passage, Christ not only reminds us of who we are, he reminds us of our purpose. And he tells us how to accomplish that purpose. Which brings us to the branch. Just as the vine defines the nature and purpose, it, it also defines how the branch achieves that purpose. We are in Christ. As I've said before, that is a statement of fact. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you have claimed him as your Lord and Savior, you are in Christ. Which means as the branch, we are called to be an expression of Christ's love in this world. Now the branch is not the vine, but the branch is the means by which the vine bears fruit into this world. That's what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ. That's how we are to abide in Christ. And I think Christ tells us how to do that when he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just if I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, the way we abide in God's love is by keeping his commandments. And the proof that we have kept his commandments is that we bear much abiding fruit. It's very simple, but it's not easy. How does a disciple of Christ keep his commandments? I think part of it is by being intentional, by being resolved to create habits that can form our lives in the image of Christ. Habits are the result of repetitive choices. For example, if you choose to read your Bible for 30 minutes, that is a choice. If you make that same choice for 90 consecutive days, you're developing a habit. A habit is a choice made over and over until the action becomes unconscious. It's just what you do. And I think we're called to make the choice not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. To make the choices and create the habits that reinforce the truth of who we are, that we are children of God and disciples of Christ. Let's consider another young man faced with the same dilemma. Daniel, as a young man, was captured and taken off to Babylon to be submerged in a culture that intended to seduce him, that was intended to change his identity from a citizen of God's kingdom to a citizen of an earthly kingdom, to change his allegiance from God as his king to Nebuchadnezzar as his king. And when you read the book of Daniel, they did that by changing all the habits. All the parts of his day were different. Instead of revolving around God, they would revolve around the, the creature comforts and the desires and the goals of Babylon. And what it says is that when he was given the favor of the king's table and the king's food and the king's wine, that Daniel resolved. He made an intentional choice. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. The habits related to diet were not about food for Daniel. They were about how he would set himself apart for God, how he would be holy, because that's what it means to be holy, to be set apart for God. Daniel's choice to be set apart and to be holy, he chose to abide in the promises of God and to walk faithfully. And the fruit of that choice is seen later when we read the story of the lion's death. The fruit of that choice is seen later when we see how God uses Daniel as the mechanism to restore the Israelites to the promised land how Daniel is used as the mechanism to get the materials to rebuild the temple of God. If you would walk faithfully, like Daniel, you must actively cultivate God-honoring habits. 
in his book, The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. And uh, if you haven't read it, it's a high recommend for me. Um, don't be confused by the title, The Greatest Salesman in the World, because it starts with the birth of Jesus and it ends with the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're not a believer and you read the book, you will think it's about how you sell things. But if you're a son of Christ, a son of God, when you read the book, you will realize it is about the Great Commission, and it's about evangelism, and about how you make choices, and how those choices affect your life. So what he's saying, and I'm going to paraphrase in his book, he's, he says that as children, we were slaves to our impulses. So you make impulses just because of your desires, because you don't know any better. When you make those over time, they become habits. And as adults, we surrender our free will to the years of accumulated habits, which have become our slave masters. To be free, your bad habits must be destroyed. And new furrows prepared for good seed. You must form good habits and become their slaves. Beloved, God-honoring habits help you live a life that honors God. As disciples of Christ, we're called to examine our habits and destroy those that do not honor God because they're the chains which tie us to the old self. They are, in fact, the tools of Satan. Satan deceives us by saying that those things are still good, that they're still for us. He deceives us by telling us that those habits are too ingrained in who we are and we can't break them. But we know that to be a lie because Christ broke those chains and Christ set us free. This is why the process of sanctification of putting the old man to death is such a struggle because it is actual spiritual warfare. When you're making these choices and developing these habits, you are in the trenches. I think of the struggle of the Apostle Paul who stood for the faith, who suffered for the faith. He tells us he was beaten, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, he was beaten with rods. He was driven out of town after town. He was a faithful, obedient disciple of Christ. Yet he says of himself, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. See, he recognized that his own actions were not always consistent with his new nature. He experienced the same frustration and pain and confusion that we feel when we recognize our actions are not consistent with our identity, that we don't abide in Christ because we have bad habits sometimes. What the Apostle Paul makes clear is that our sanctification is an active, ongoing process that requires always to be engaged in self-examination. 
and to seek to put to death the habits and behaviors of the old man. And like the Apostle Paul, all disciples of Christ are committed to running that race to the end. And like Simeon, to finishing well. But we should remember that that struggle is not a struggle we fight on our own because our God is a loving and faithful God who keeps all of his promises in his time and in his way. And in the book of Isaiah, when God spoke of the future glory and the blessings that he would bestow upon Israel, he said, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters will be righteousness. God was saying that he will change the desires of our heart. Our new hearts of flesh will be ruled by the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Our desire will be to seek the peace and righteousness of God. And so our habits will align with the desires of our heart. To experience the peace of God with through by obeying his commandments. I believe this is what Jesus is telling us in this passage. When he calls us to keep his commandments, when he says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be in full. We desire the joy of Christ to abide in us. But like the Apostle Paul, when our actions and habits don't align with our true nature, we experience that pain and frustration and confusion. But we need to recognize that for what it is. That is us allowing Satan to steal our joy. That is not what Christ would have for us. But when we align our choices and our habits and our very life to our actual identity as disciples of Christ, by being obedient to the commandments of God, we have the joy of Christ in us. We abide in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, our joy is full. That joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which brings us to the fruit. So what is fruit that abides? Once again, God is good. He gave us the answer in the passage. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what is abiding fruit? I think it is the fruit that is born from a disciple of Christ keeping God's commandments. It is the fruit that is born of the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the children of God. I think it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to point towards Christ. And the reason we're called to bear much abiding fruit is so that our lives 
will point to Christ. The fruit is the outward expression of our obedience to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is the result of our choices and habits which conform our lives in the image of Christ. Now, as the branch, we benefit from the fruit. But the fruit is not really for the benefit of the branch. It is for the benefit of the world. The purpose of the branch is to bear the fruit, and the purpose of the fruit is to bring the seed into the world, to show the world the light of Christ, to give the world the gospel. We live in an angry and unsettled world. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. Whether you turn on your TV or you listen to the radio or you listen to podcasts, it seems like every single person you listen to is telling you those people aren't like us. They don't believe what we believe. You should hate them. Those people are coming to destroy what you love and your life. They are your enemy. You should hate them. And you should hear in that the knowledge and truth that that is spiritual warfare because we know Christ has said that we're to love those who hate us, that we are to love our enemy. And that's why the fruit is so powerful in a dark world because it is so different from the world. And so when you bear that fruit from your life, you bring that light and that truth into a dark world. Now, remember this, that neither the branch or the fruit has to be perfect because the seed is perfect. And also remember that the fruit, by its nature, will be bruised, will be crushed, It'll be consumed. But that's how you endure. That is the purpose to which you have been called and appointed. To know Christ and to make him known. So I would ask that you consider the idea to examine your life to choose to build habits that would conform your life more and more into the image of Christ. Never forgetting that, that we are called to live lives of perfect obedience. We will not be able to live perfect lives until God has completed the work he has begun in us. We're not absolved in our failures, but we are forgiven. Our process of sanctification proceeds from God's immeasurable love and his unbounded, unmerited grace to us. It rests upon the promise of God to complete the work which he's begun in us. And our striving for perfection 
is the result of our love for Christ's great work and love of us. The last thing I would hope for you is that if hearing this, you would say that you wouldn't say, I want to be a Daniel or I want to be a Jonathan Edwards or a Hannah or a Ruth or a David or even a Paul. I would hope in hearing this sermon you would realize that that's who you already are. You are chosen to be disciples of Christ, appointed to bear much abiding fruit for God's glory. I think as we think about today being Communion Sunday, one of the encouragements to us as we think about communion is that Jesus sat with people that he had walked for three years with. People that he was going to use to spread his word and his light across the known world. But if you think about those people, one of them was getting ready to get up and betray him. One of them was going to deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. And all the rest of them were going to abandon him. When you do your examination and you think about how God can use you, don't be dissuaded by anything Satan might whisper to you about how you aren't a powerful tool for God's glory. Because as we see in those disciples, God works through broken vessels for his glory. Now, if you're here tonight, or to this morning, <laughs> and you have claimed Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to ask you to join us in communion. But if you haven't, we would ask that you would just sit here. Now, if you have a communion cup, you can take it out. Now, on the night that he was to be betrayed, Christ took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So if you just take the first piece of cellophane and you take out the wafer, and you can put it on your tongue or you can hold it for a moment. Then he gave thanks and he took the wine and he poured it and said, this is my blood, which is a new commandment, a, a new covenant given for the remissions of sin. And he drank it. So please partake of the elements. Heavenly Father, we come together this morning knowing that you've carried us through a, another year and placed our feet on the path of a new year. We ask us, we ask that you would help us to consider what you would have us to do this year, how we may know you more fully and make you known. 
we ask this you to help us think about the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father and the Son's love for the children of God. And we just thank you for your abundant grace, which is renewed to us day after day. And we ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, if you please rise for the final song.